What up, guys? It's Scoobert Dubert. I was talking to one of the members of my family recently, and I realized that it was kind of hard to talk about music because we did not come from the same vocabulary. And, like, not complicated vocabulary, just, like, what are the jobs of musicians and how are how is music made? And so I decided to make this podcast episode to talk about what music creation was and what music creation is at least you know broad strokes overview of the whole thing in a nutshell the tldr there's less money in music now and so a lot of a lot of a lot of the times people are wearing multiple hats people are taking multiple roles you probably feel it in your own job where you're being asked to do like 12 different people's jobs all at once because there's not enough money to go around So you're having to just like suck it up and deal with everybody else's crap. Same deal with music. But there's a pro and a con to it. And I'm bury that lead. You have to get there when you get there. All right, so let's go back in in time. Let's talk about where, where things used to be. So you would have a composer who would come up with an idea or a group of composers. They would be writing a song or writing a melody, writing a vibe. Oftentimes, then they would go to the lyricist. So, like, uh, some people might know Elton John has a lyricist, where he'll, you know, work with the lyricist and then come up with a melody. So he's more focused on the music side. The lyricist is more focused on the lyrics side. And so that, that, that already, from the creation of the song, there is a division of labor. One of my all-time favorite um, songwriting consortiums going back to Motown era is Holland Dozier Holland and so the Holland brothers and then uh, Lamont Dozier uh, one of the Hollands would write uh, oftentimes would write the music with Lamont and then another Holland would pencil in the lyrics and they would take that music which would be the chords the lyrics the general melody think of this as like the acoustic singer-songwriter version totally stripped down the MTV unplugged version or the coffee shop version. And they would take that and bring it to an arranger. The arranger then would take the general concepts that are present within the lyrics, the chords, the melodies, and throw stuff to different uh, parts of an orchestra or a rock band or jazz combo, whatever. So they would say, okay, this is the bass hook. This is what the bass is going to play. This is what the guitar is going to play. This is what the drums are going to play. And they write it out, put it all on music. And that's given to the musicians. The musicians then interpret that, add a little bit of flair. Sometimes they'll get pretty bare bones stuff. But they'll at least kind of get a gist of where they're going. The musicians will perform that. And then it'll be captured by a recording engineer. Recording engineers originally were basically like scientists, where they would understand a room, understand microphones in such a way that they would position a bunch of different instruments from one mic, because we didn't have multi-track. 
recording. We didn't have the ability to lay sounds over sounds. So this is like the first technology. So if you're going to rail on technology, ruining music, like start there. (laughs) Just kidding. I love technology. I think technology is uh, saving music even. Um, So anyway, it's all started with you had literal physical distance from a microphone. So you had the singer closest to the microphone and the the drummer the furthest away because the drummer is the loudest. And eventually you ended up getting different microphones. And then eventually you ended up getting the ability to multi-track, meaning layering sound on sound. So you could record the drummer alone and then record a guitar on top of it, allowing you to like perfect the drum part before adding other stuff on top of it, which really helps, particularly if you're making arranging decisions in real time where it's not just, hey, everybody play your part perfectly. It's, hey, like, play your part perfectly, but we might evolve it a little bit over time, or we we might want to add a little bit of improvisation. Like, say, for example, you're going to take a guitar solo or a sax solo. It'd be nice to take a few and not have to have the whole band to play with you every single frickin' time. I've been in those sessions, and they suck, where, like, you're literally having to play, like, 40, 50 rounds of the song until your hands are burning because they're not getting the solo that they want. And it's like, why don't I just record my thing until it's done and it's good? And then you can solo as many times on top of it as you want. So that's like technology part one. So that's the musicians and the recording engineer part. That's the capturing of the audio. The recording engineer is making a ton of decisions, deciding what type of microphone to use, what type of cable to use, what type of input and pre-amplifier that they want to use, the thing that makes the microphone louder. All of these decisions have massive, massive implications because adding any different microphone to any different sound source is like having a different ear. It fundamentally changes the input of that audio as well as like even like little decisions like the cable and the preamp is a big decision because it's like, how, how am I amplifying the sound of that microphone? Everything has its own different color. And then from that, You say, okay, how am I going to get it onto a reel-to-reel tape recorder or, in my case, into a computer? Like, convert it from this analog signal, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. I am pushing vibrations in the air into a diaphragm on a microphone that is resonating against it in the same way that our eardrum does. It is sending an electrical signal down the cable, into the microphone cable, into my universal audio Apollo Twin And then my Apollo twin is applying virtual saturation, a virtual, you know, outboard gear, virtual old school sound to it as though it's recording into a, you know, a Neve, like a proper um, channel strip, channel uh, preamp. And then it is converting it from that analog signal to ones and zeros that my computer can read. So all of those decisions are incredibly impactful. Even the conversion, that's part of the reason why I like a universal audio. They have really good analog to digital conversion because that's one of the most important steps of the process of like translating something as though it was going on to reel to reel, which would just be analog to analog onto a computer. Okay, so the engineer makes all of these decisions. This is like the process of going from sound in the real world to sound on a recorded medium. But it's not done yet. Throughout the entire process, there's a producer 
It's helping to manage this whole situation, making a lot of the creative decisions that the engineer might or might not be doing. Again, the producer engineer world has always had interesting boundaries that are entirely dependent on the type of personnel. I call myself a producer engineer because I do both. A lot of people have done both. Some people as a producer, they, they think they're just the vibe person. They're going to help make the environment in which you create positive and allow the engineer to make a lot of the engineering decisions. Other producers will step in and say, no, I don't want that mic. That's too dark. I want a mic that's brighter, or I want a mic that's crisper, or I want a mic that is more old school or more new school, these kind of you know concepts. So producers doing a whole bunch of different things, but the main, main job of the producer is to get stuff done, get stuff done on time and in budget and to, you know, produce the whole situation just like you would in any sort of like, you know, TV production. The producer is getting stuff done on time in budget. Once you get everything recorded though, it's not even close to done. You then have to decide like, okay, what takes do we use? That's also a big role of the artist and the producers. Usually the producer is, is just determining, okay, we played this 15 times. And even in the old days, they would do this too. Which one do we like? And what combinations of one do we like? We like the take number two of the drums, but then take number 12 of the bass, but then take number nine of the guitars and take number 52 of the vocals. And then you combine them all. It was a much more laborious when it was with tape. Now it's just easy enough with Pro Tools. Still not easy, which people like to like pretend that it is. But you have to go through all of this stuff. You have to make really hard decisions just determining like which version of the word the do I like for every single instrument in every single part of a song. And then multiply that across multiple albums. It gets, gets complicated. So once you pick all of your takes, once you've made all of the decisions, once the arranger has done its work, once the composer and the lyricist have done their work, once the musicians have played, the recording engineer has captured it, the producer has quarterbacked it, it's time to mix. This is one that I think a lot of people don't even know what mixing is, and that's perfectly okay. Mixing is the process of turning a bunch of different ingredients into a cake. We're going to mix it up and we're going to bake it. The mixing engineer does that, and that's part of the reason why it's one of my favorite things and also one of the scariest things to do, because if you mess it up, all of that work before you is worthless. But if you crush it, all of that work is amplified. It's like the synergy of like one plus one equals three. That's what the mixing engineer does. And the mixing engineer is fun because it, their role combines some of what the recording engineer does, where, you know, they're making mathematical decisions of like, okay, where, where in this frequency spectrum does this instrument lie and the other instrument lie? You know, they're, they're making these like very minute decisions, but then it also combines the producer and the musician, all this kind of stuff of what is the vibe decision? What things do I reach for? How are we combining these things? And in what way? One of the things that people don't know with mixing that don't mix, um, again, perfectly reasonable, how would you know this, is combining instruments is one of the biggest things you can do as a mixing engineer. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. When you have drums on their own, 
all these individual drums. So you have just the kick drum, the boom, 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 just the snare drum. You can now combine them into what's called like a bus or an augs, a, a thing that sums them together. And you can have them interact with each other. That's where the magic is. So you can combine an entire drum kit. So now it feels like one glued together thing. But then the next decision is a little bit harder. Like that's an easy decision. It's all one instrument. How do you combine the rest of the stuff? Do you want to combine the drums and the bass? That's reasonable. Maybe you want to combine the drums, the bass, the drums together once, and then the drums together with the bass, and then the drums and the bass together with the guitars. That's one decision. Or maybe you don't want to combine stuff. You want to keep them all kind of separate and then have them combined at the end. So there's more openness and space in the track. It's this decision of glue versus separation that is so fundamental to mixing. And then also the direction. Like we have new directions with, um, you know, this 360 spatial audio stuff. But fundamentally, I mean, two channel is like a lot of that, a lot of it's very cool, but two channels still the supreme. You have a left and a right ear that's not changing. Like, oh, stuff sounds like it's behind you. It's like, okay, cool, but you still only have two ears. Like the fundamental stuff is two channel. So it's deciding where in that sp that spectrum of left to right it is. And like, yes, that spectrum can include above and below and behind you, but it still is between two ears. Where does, where do you place things? These are fundamental, very tough decisions for a mixing engineer because they're additive. They all combine to create an impression of vibe and changing them slightly, just like changing, baking a cake affects everything else. I'm going to put the guitars center, or I'm going to put the guitars all the way hard in your left ear. Massive vibe difference. And not only does it affect what the guitars sound like, but it affects everything else. Because like, think about it this way. If you have everybody dead center, right up where, like, where I'm talking right now, where it's right in between your two ears, it's like as though I'm in front of your forehead. And then you, then you, you shift things over to left and right. There's going to be a massive impression change between those two. In the same way that like if, if somebody was whispering in your left ear and then was screaming in your right, it's, it's, you're, 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 you're going to feel different stuff. But it's not just that because everything is happening all at once. And so when you move something that's really loud from one ear to the next, it's going to expose the other things that were not as loud in that ear. It's like a vacuum. That vacuum gets filled. And so it's all reactive. I can wax poetic about mixing forever. But essentially what I'm trying to say is that every decision with mixing affects everything else in a very, very deep, visceral way. At some point, I'll do like a, a total walkthrough of like what that actually sounds like. I'm actually thinking about making some songs that uh, do that poetically where people can listen to it and be like, I get it. That's a goal of mine for next year. Anyway, mixing is that art of taking everybody else's work, putting it together. But you're not done yet. The next step is mastering. Mastering is very weird because I don't do it. <laughs> so it's weird because I don't completely understand it. The gist is, is it makes everything louder, then it makes everything more done. In the same way that, like, 
mixing is you know, mixing up the cake and then baking it. Mastering is like the egg wash and the plating and the accoutrement, the like the stuff that you put on top of it, the frosting, you know, it's not a cake yet when it's just baked and it's, it's done and it tastes really good. You need to do the next step. You need to frost it. You need to put it on a beautiful plate. You need to like have it at the right temperature, all of those things. That's what the mastering does is it is the cherry on top, but the vi- most vital cherry because without it, it just doesn't sound right. And as a mixing engineer, you almost have to like keep that last step in mind unless you're doing it yourself because you need to mix to that in my humble opinion. Like if you try to mix so that it's done, there will be no room for the mastering engineer to frost the cake. You need to bake the perfect cake that is ready to accept the frosting rather than try and do it all at the same time. Okay, that's the fundamental like multi-multi-step process. There's even more stuff in between. That those that's the That's the gist. There's assistant engineers, there's everybody. But anyway, that's the, those are like the main job domains. What happened now? We have less money, so we have less specialization, we have less time, and we have less gear. Records used to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes they would take multiple years, and they'd be in state-of-the-art million, million-dollar facilities. Now I'm on a TV tray recording into my laptop. You know, I hope it doesn't sound like that, but it's understandable if it does. And I think there's a certain vibe within that. So it's a good and a bad thing, depending on your view. On the one hand, you might say, oh, there are no more classic records anymore. Yeah, maybe the way that you narrowly define classic records, I could get it. You know, nobody's spending a quarter of a million dollars to a half million dollars, like who knows, with inflation, then maybe a million dollars on a record anymore. Like, of course not. That's ridiculous. You're never going to make it back. But also you don't need to anymore. And though it was really cool to have that specialization where it's like, oh, that's not my lane. All I do is arrange for strings. Oh no, I don't do anything. I only write lyrics. I don't touch anything else. Oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not a producer or a recording engineer. I only mix. Those walls have been broken down because they have to, but it's consolidated, consolidated decision-making, which is like double-edged sword, of course, but I'm excited by it because it means that you can make more decisions about your music. If you're any of those you know, people, and you're assuming any of the other roles, you are fundamentally shaping the music more. And if you are good, the music should be even better because it's more of an imprint of you rather than being an imprint of like 20 people. It's an imprint of like two or three. And if those two two or three are like really friggin' slap, like that, that's going to work. That's going to be really cool in a different way. It's going to sound different. So like some people think the golden age of music is behind us. I don't think so. I think it's actually now and I think it's ahead because there's more, there are more people that are more skilled in more things now than they've ever been. And technology is not something that's making us lazier. It's making us more capable because I'm not having to spend all this time like cutting tape and, you know, using all the super cumbersome gear just to put audio on a campus. I can do it at any time in any state, in any place. 
I am recording frequently with my iPhone as a voice note, and I'm using it in commercially released records, including those that are on major labels. That is powerful because it has removed a barrier. And by removing barriers, yeah, there might be some time where it doesn't sound as good, but fundamentally there are less things in the way of creating. Because there are less things in the way of creating, you can make more, you can put more of a stamp on of, of your own self into your artistry, and there's just less stuff getting between you and the goal, which is moving people. So I, I recommend shaking yourself of some of those thoughts because a lot of what you hear is psychological. If you, a perfect example is like people have liked my music more when I have better numbers versus when I've had worse. Same music, same person. Context. There's a psychological aspect. And hopefully, you know, hopefully that swings in my direction someday, like fully, fully, but who knows? You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to say, try to rid yourself of that a little bit, meet the art where it is and celebrate it rather than just saying, oh, technology is making people not as good at instruments. Say, no, the technology is making people better at more things. And fundamentally, it is clearing the path for us to make more music. Which is what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to make more music. I'm trying to make you love music more. If you want to hit me up, scubertdubert.pizza. That's where you can find all my links, all my music, and also some other dumb stuff. Because it's, it's all part of it. Later, guys. Bye. Music appreciation. One, 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 one.